0: From Carson to this is Fangraphs Studio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Studio making his weekly Monday appearance on a Wednesday. This is his weekly Monday appearance, but he's made it on a Wednesday owing to an event to which he needed to travel in Seattle, a pitch talks event in Seattle. He's the managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is the guest, and on this edition of the program, as he does every week, Dave Cameron endeavors here to analyze all baseball. Of particular note this week, the philosopher Heraclitus says that you can never step into the same river twice and yet a river appears to be a static feature, a static topographical, topographical, geographical feature, body of water feature. Certain of baseball's best pitchers appear to be static in their way. Uh, Clayton Kershaw and Max Scherzer, for example, have been models of consistency in their dominance of opposing batters in recent years, and yet both of them appear to be in the process of changing and adjusting. Jeff Sullivan, for example, recently documented Kershaw's occasional use of a lower arm slot, something which he had not necessarily exhibited in in past years Enos Harris learned directly from Max Scherzer himself that the right hander has added a third breaking ball, what he calls a power slider do even the very best of players need to change in order to stay the same that's nearly the question I asked Dave Cameron it's not the exact question, but it's nearly it's the question I would have liked to ask Dave Cameron, and uh, much of what follows is dedicated to answering a question I did not ask him Also discussed the very Pitch Talks events in Seattle that delayed the recording of this uh, edition of the program. Uh, What stories does a beat reporter tell when he handed both a glass of Crown Royale and a microphone? Does he tell tales out of school? Where is the school, etc.? We find out from Dave Cameron in that particular note. Finally, uh, Dave Cameron makes some controversial and possibly incorrect, almost certainly incorrect observations regarding the dimensions Of the human body, it's a a long way from your arms to your knees. Certain that to be all over the tabloids in the morning, Um, and that's all that's to be found in what's false. What uh, shall I say right now? Uh, I shall say this: that for a reasonable sum, I'm going to talk about Fangraphs memberships very briefly. For a reasonable sum, readers and listeners of readers of Fangraphs.com, listeners of Fangraphs Audio can acquire a Fangraphs membership uh, to support the work that, it, that appears there. What else people can do, readers and listeners, those same readers and listeners, they can acquire for a slightly less reasonable sum an ad-free membership, which allows, um, which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads. Distortive effects, advertising, faster loading speeds, etc. And uh, etc., Okay, I have uttered all of those words. What, uh, what should we do now? Let's move on to the conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs. Audio. Who is Who does the future managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron? And when does it begin? Right now. Maybe you got a sense about what happened at the very end of last week's. I, did, I
1: actually did listen to the end of last week's because someone alerted me to the fact that you included my uh, my illness in the outro.
0: <laughs> <clears throat>
1: I listened to it actually with my, my wife was sitting across from me and she was horrified. <laughs> she, she could not believe that I was included and asked, how
0: many people listen to this thing? And what, what was your answer? I mean, I told her no one. No one, yeah. yeah, yeah, not that many. Yeah. The consequences were, were pretty muted. Yeah. I think you could say. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's fine. Yeah, but you're feeling better. You're, you're like unlikely to vomit this week. Yeah, I, I would anticipate there will be no vomit trips this week. I want you to know I really jacked up the volume because you were some distance away from your microphone. But congratulations, I was. I would say. Um, I give my, my thanks to the Yeti company for their blue microphone, or maybe it's the blue company and their Yeti microphone. In either case, it really picked up the sound. I jacked up those levels and we got a, we got a good audio of you. It wasn't just the vomiting, Dave Cameron, or the retching. It was also the flush, I think, was a perfect punctuation mark on that.
1: Yeah. So just to give people some context, I record, uh, my little podcast studio is just this little, um, wasted area of space upstairs outside my son's bedroom. Um, but it's got carpet and the acoustics are better up here. Uh, but the restroom I was in was downstairs, uh, and then around the hall by the garage. So the, that restroom was nowhere close to the microphone. Yeah. yeah I was yeah. hundreds of feet
0: away. Yeah, that's right. You were, you were, you were quite loud yourself. I, I assumed because, you know, you were coughing up your insides and, uh, but we got that on the mic. Hey, listen, um, in less troubling news, I guess, uh, here's, I, I wanted to start by asking you this question, which was about what you did this past Monday. I think you participated in a pitch talk in Seattle. Pitch talks, yes. Pitch talks. You, you, you were were part of, the of a pitch off. talks.
1: You, you like to make it a singular, like right. we
0: only talk about one thing. Right. So you, so I know that you've, you've participated in a bunch of these, but I believe they've exclusively been, um, Located, these events have been held in cities uh, for, for teams that are not Seattle. And what's interesting about you, I guess, doing it in Seattle is that uh, this is a team, if not currently, but with, with which you have some history.
1: Right, yeah. So this was probably the first event I've done in Seattle since the last USS Mariner Lookout Landing meetup that Jeff Sullivan and I used to run back when we were both uh, uh, active members of the Mariner blogging community. Uh, So this has probably been like four or five years, uh, but we used to regularly do events kind of like this, uh, and it was interesting to come back and do an event there for people uh, who I have some relationship with and who I have, uh, you know, done something like this before, but in a different role.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm curious as to how it went. Were there any highlights from the evening? Uh, there
1: were a lot of, so Ryan Divish, the Mariners beat writer for the Seattle Times, mm-hmm. said a lot of things that he probably should not have said. Okay. Uh, was
0: he drinking at the time? He had a, he had a glass
1: of Crown in his hand. Okay. That he had, that he had purchased from the bar because the selection of beer in the green room did not uh, get it him looking up him. enough. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. So he was uh, quite funny and said some very funny things. Uh, mm-hmm. him and Shannon Dreher, who's the, uh, the reporter for 710 ESPN, the team's radio partner, um, had some interesting accounts about how, like, Milton Bradley was, like, genuinely a scary person, and, like, they were terrified for their safety when they were around him, like, not just in a, well, that's a bad dude, but, like, maybe he will hurt me <laughs> actively yeah, okay. right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, no, yeah. I think
0: trouble, I think a pretty. Pretty safe to say, and this in what you're sharing now only adds to it. So, Milton, uh, Milton Bradley is a troubled man. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, also, Jeff Sullivan literally dropped a mic uh, mm-hmm. after he said uh, James Paxton was better than Chris Sale. Uh, I don't know if that he had been dropped in his head previous to that, because I don't agree with the assessment. But mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Sullivan, big Chris, big James Paxton fan, and also big fan of damaging others' properties.
0: Yeah. Well. Okay. So, with regard to this question between Chris Sale and James Paxton. Now, Chris hale has been quite good so far this year I believe and he's also been quite good for years now.
1: Yeah, this is not a new thing for Chris Hale.
0: Sure, but I but um I could say from what I know uh, of James Paxton, he's a he's a left-hander who throws quite hard. In fact, yeah. he might have one of the highest average fastball velocities of a left-handed starter. I believe that's true. Yeah. And uh but honestly I don't I have not been following his his performances this year with any scrutiny. Is he is there any merit to Jeff's point, do you think?
1: Uh, I don't think he's better than Chris Sale, no. And I think that he would not say that in a non-Pro-Seattle environment, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that James Paxton throws hard and has figured out how to throw strikes, finally. Uh, He has not figured out how to stay healthy to this point, but uh, when James Paxton is on the mound, James Paxton has turned into one of the better starting pitchers in baseball, Uh, and I think Jeff was making a point of emphasis by comparing him to someone that everyone agrees is a legitimate number one starter and saying, look... If James Paxton is, you know, uh, even anywhere near Chris Sale, then he's really quite good.
0: Yeah, and uh, looking over Paxton's numbers, they are quite good this year. Yeah. He has a, uh, his ex-FIP is 25% better than league average after yeah, park and league adjustments. And his yeah. his ERA and his FIP are much better than that even. Yeah, I mean, this is like, that's like vintage Pedro territory with his FIP right now.
1: Yeah,
0: he's good. Uh, he's good, yeah. Although, he, uh, I guess staying healthy, you're right, has been an issue, hasn't it?
1: It has been an issue for him for quite a while.
0: He went to University of Kentucky. He James did, Paxton.
1: and then he had some run-ins with the NCAA and uh, had to pitch an independent ball. And he's had an interesting track to the big leagues.
0: Paxton does not have, uh, I mean, given the tools that he's exhibiting currently, he doesn't have the sort of profile that I would necessarily expect from a pitcher who had who had matriculated to college.
1: Yeah, he's not, he has not been a polished, uh, uh, you know, like the Mike Leake idea of like the, oh yeah, there's a college pitcher who throws 89 and with movement and command. Like mm-hmm. James Paxton has thrown very hard, although most recently even harder than he used to, um, with no idea where it was going. He was kind of more of like your prototypical high school prospect, but older.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 That's interesting because, um, of course the draft is coming up now and you really don't find yeah, you don't find someone with with Paxton's sort of, uh, I guess, uh, physical tools. But as you note, uh, some of this is is just a product of development after leaving college too. Yeah. Which I, I mean, guess is, which I guess can happen.
1: Paxton didn't have like a traditional college career, um and he hasn't had, yeah, I mean, his, he's had a lot of starts and stops where he would like pitch some and then have to take a break and it seems like, uh, perhaps his development stalled due to all the injuries and in the college the NCAA stuff and, yeah, yeah I would like say if, baseball age and Paxton's actual age are probably not the same, right, in terms of how much development he's had for a typical whatever 26, 27 year old he is now.
0: All right, all right, yeah. yeah, yeah. It is interesting to think about the sort of development then can happen for pitchers after they leave, e- even after they leave college. Because uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Walker Buehler at all, yeah. Dave Cameron. Mm-hmm. He was selected by the Dodgers, and I think it, I think immediately had uh, some sort of surgery, if not Tommy John surgery. Uh, but he's returned from whatever procedure it was to begin like sitting in the mid 90s. I know Eric Longanagan has seen him a bunch of times. He's already moved up to. Double A now in the Dodgers system this year, and he's uh, performing very well there. Uh, but he was not necessarily. I think. He, I think he was regarded. He was certainly regarded as a good college pitcher. He pitched very well for Vanderbilt. But he's come back throwing much harder. And again, like that sort of seems. That seems to be. At, at, well, it. What is? If it's a physical tool, right? But I guess what we've uh, witnessed in recent years, some of the benefit of measurement, etc. Is that you know that that uh, mechanics can also play a figure and perhaps if there's greater if there are training principles um, that a player follows that can allow him to do that then maybe there really is a way to transform after college.
1: Yeah, I mean, so uh, also at the pitch talk event on Monday night, Kyle Body of Drive Line Baseball did a one-on-one Q and A uh, and kind of talked about some of the things that they're doing in order to try and increase velocity and I think <clears throat> as methods like uh, the ones at Drive Line and other kind of uh, training centers around the country become more accepted. It has, it has become more the norm. I think that we just see guys start throwing harder out of nowhere, and like it brings up a que- kind of a question of like how much velocity, how much emphasis do you place on current velocity versus um, maybe what you think velocity could be with some tweaks, right? Like we've always heard about kind of like the projectable six foot six skinny guy who, when he adds thirty pounds, will throw ten miles an hour harder. It seems like more and more this is becoming a thing, right? Like, James Paxton was, uh, you know, 90 to 94 in college, and he's 97 to 100 in the big leagues. Like, if you can find guys like this that you can legitimately add 5, 6, 7 miles an hour to their fastball, I don't know that you necessarily care what their current velocity is. I mean, obviously, there's a baseline to work from, but uh, it's becoming more and more common, I think, that pitchers can completely overhaul their arsenals and... But Chase Anderson is throwing ninety four in Milwaukee now. Uh like there's just so many guys who uh are significantly different than they used to be after uh either changing their mechanics or changing their throwing programs or whatever it may be. It just seems like adding velocity is now a thing that teams and players have figured out they can actually do.
0: Do you think that do you think that there's some merit then, perhaps, to the idea that a team the teams could focus on college pitchers who maybe do exhibit that sort of polish or exhibit command that May not have gotten uh, gotten them attention in the past, but uh, perhaps uh, we, you know ought to merit attention in in the present because of uh, the ability to add velocity.
1: I mean that's one of the things I think we're gonna have to probably find out over time is like is are these guys able to add five miles an hour to their fastball and uh, maintain that elite command or do they just have to say okay part of the reason I was able to command the ball is I was throwing eighty seven and that's not as good as throwing ninety two with worse command right so right. Uh, yeah. that's one of the things I think we don't know is like you know we talk about the power contact trade off with hitters how much is the command velocity trade off with pitchers
0: right yeah yeah and and uh, you you were and I was gonna ask you about a piece you wrote on Giancarlo Stanton I think last week. Um, about that that sort of trade off. I mean, ideally, well, it's right, and this is a trade off. I mean, to to speak about in the context of prospects again, this is a trade off you see a lot with uh, athleticism, a defensive sort of athleticism that helps defenders, because uh, you always have that situation where like you have a shortstop who's really slender, uh, anybody who's got you know above average agility or um, or you know athleticism or range at shortstop. And you say, well, he could grow into some more power, but then as soon as he grows into more power, maybe he's not, uh, maybe he's not a shortstop anymore, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, I know that when Eric Longenegger talks about it, he, he uses he references what he calls the Goldilocks zone, which I think he's, means he's saying it's just right, right? Yeah. And and you do have the the occasional athlete who's able to, re, who's able to grow in, uh, or or possess some physicality and yet also hit. Uh, for Bauer. I think, you know, like Troy Tulowitzki has been one obvious example of that in recent years. And then, of course, there's sort of a whole spate of shortstops now who, who do that same thing. And Carlos Correa obviously fits that. Probably Addison Russell. What do you think? Addison Russell?
1: Yeah, I'm Xander Bogarts. I would say, like, oh yeah. Well, it was
0: maybe Xander Bogarts. Well, I mean, Bogarts was a guy who clearly had power in the minor leagues, right? He was running
1: 200 ISOs as a teenager in AA, yeah, uh, or in the high minors at least. Um, You know, you don't do that as a if you're 19 or 20 year old and you're putting up that kind of power level numbers. That's it's really hard to fluke that. So Bogarts has somewhere inside of him like legitimate, real major league power. But then he's become a very different kind of player in that he now slaps the ball around and hits for contact and, like, has clearly adjusted his swing and has traded power for more contact. And, like, as he gets older, maybe he goes backwards and, like, tries to find that Goldilocks zone of, like, can I maintain most of my contact gains while getting some of my power back? I think for a lot of players, this is a kind of a a continuing evolution, and Bogarts right now is on the, the contact side of the continuum.
0: Right. Uh Before uh, before we move on to other considerations, well, first of all, I want to say that if there's any if there's any player with whom I'd like to see this experiment, of uh, in terms of pitchers, right? If we want to see the added velocity experiment um, work, uh, there's a pitcher. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's in the he's in the Philly system, and he went to uh, Cal State Fullerton. His name's Tom Eshelman.
1: Yeah, I
0: know that is. Eshelman ran these crazy strikeout to walk numbers in college, yeah, yeah. and It'd be interesting to see if he were the sort of pitcher who could – because I think one of the problems was, you know, there's these questions about whether he actually possessed sufficient arm speed to get out, you know, higher-level batters. Um, But he's kind of like – to me, he would be like the best test case. There's also a guy, Mike Sharwin, perhaps. I think he went to Maryland. He's also uh, in a minor league system somewhere. Anyway, that was one uh, brief aside. What I would like to ask you about is, uh, before we move on to major league players, is uh, relevant to the upcoming draft. The uh, the case of Brendan McKay, first baseman slash left handed pitcher for Louisville, who is regarded as a first round talent by some clubs. It seems, um, as both a hitter and a pitcher. Um, and uh, I'm wondering if uh, you've had if you've dedicated any thought to him, or if you've uh, simply ignored ignored. No, no, role. yeah, I'm
1: well aware of the existence of Brendan McKay. It seems like. Uh, the interesting thing, at least from what I've read and, and, and people I've talked to, is that he, his pitching performances this year have not been as stellar as you would think for a guy who is being considered as a top five pitching prospect, in a, you know, or a top five pick as a pitcher. Like, he's consistently sitting in the low nineties and then by like the third or fourth, inning, he's down to 88 to 91 or something like that. And I think Eric Loganigan has talked about, like, people think that maybe he can hold his velocity later, deeper in games if he wasn't also hitting on his off days. Like, maybe he's just not well rested enough in order to hold his velocity, but that brings up the question of like, how viable is he as a two-way player if you think like we're gonna evaluate both in the minor leagues? If like, if hitting is defect- affecting his development, uh, as a pitcher, and you're drafting him as a pitcher, it's probably not worth having him hit. So like, uh, you know, this might, I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but like, it's not entirely clear that doing one thing uh, just well enough to keep doing it is actually better than giving that thing up and being better at the other thing.
0: Right, right, and that's in, in do you think there's a possibility? Well, and I'll uh, show you my hand here, which is a metaphor about cards. I think uh, is um, I think that I think there is a possibility, strong possibility that he's being overrated by clubs because he's so good at the collegiate level at both things. Yeah, that. Uh, there's sort of a um, there's a glow about him, um, but in fact, uh, you know, he, it's there's no indication. Because first of all, he's a college first baseman, which right. is a profile that does not translate to major league success very often. Yeah, and as you noted too, he's like a good pitcher in the ACC, but. Maybe, I mean, you know, just based on is he like a first round pitcher? Probably not. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe a late first round or something like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the question you have to ask if you're going to draft Brandon McKay is can he play both ways in the big leagues? And if the answer is no, if you're not convinced that this guy is good enough to be both a hitter and a pitcher in the big leagues, or that you're convinced that that actually works, you know, at this level, uh, given the, you know, uh, requirements for being a major league player on both sides of the ball, then you have to evaluate him as one or the other, right? And, like, if you're, like, the fact that you're a good hitting pitcher, it helps, right? Like Madison Bumgarner and Zach Rickey, these guys that have, like, you know, a win to their value as, like, good hitting pitchers. Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, that's probably not enough to justify taking him over a significantly better pitcher. If you think, like, Kyle Wright is the guy from Vanderbilt, I believe. Um, if you think, like, there's a huge difference on the mound, McKay's not going to make that up with his bat just by being a good hitting pitcher.
0: Here's a question. Did, I mean, so AJ Reed came out of Kentucky, which is an SEC school, a few years ago, and he has basically the same profile. Uh, he was a power hitting first baseman, had more power actually in playing for uh, Kentucky in the SEC than McKay has shown for Louisville. And then uh, he was also a very successful pitcher. And and but and so you know what's happened to AJ Reed so far
1: yeah.
0: is well, he's only 24, so it's not as though his career is over. But he's not what you would also call, you know, like a slam dunk prospect either.
1: No, yeah, he's a he's probably a guy who's gonna, um, you know, hang around as like a you know four A guy for a little while and and you know hopefully get some shots and you know maybe he breaks into twenty six or twenty seven. But this is not what you were hoping for out of a high first round pick.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, he, but the, I think the thing is about AJ Reedy is actually taking the second round.
1: Right. right. So that's so like correct. maybe a more. Um, Proper, like, time to take a risk on something like that. Like, if if you're one of these teams, like, you're the Twins or, uh, the Reds or the Padres that have a high for pick or Tampa Bay, and, and you have a chance to get, you know, a lot of value for your future organization, I think you have to be convinced that he can do, that McKay can either hit or pitch at a very high level in the big leagues in order to take him that high. Because if you just think that he could be okay at both, I mean, that was also the thought with, like, Christian Betancourt.
0: Right, you know I'm very uh optimistic about Adam Hazley, a center fielder for Virginia, okay do like submit that to the record Dave you don't have to respond to it
1: I'm not complaining about it
0: we I'm not going to let's see I, let me tell you something about someone about whom I will not ask you, but perhaps we'll ask you next week is that's Zach kozart he leads the he leads the majors in war he
1: does he keeps yeah. hitting.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So we will not be discussing Zach Cozart. Just to make yeah. it perfectly clear. Okay.
1: Hi Zach Cozart. Uh, we recognize you, but you're not interesting enough. Apparently.
0: No. 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 Uh, interesting enough. I don't, I don't know what. Uh, I don't know what to say. Uh, here's. A, I would like to continue asking you about Pitch Talks. Any other. Uh, anything else of note to come of that?
1: Uh, it was a fun show. You, next time Pitch Talks is around, you should go. We had a good time.
0: Right. I saw. Did, now, did you saw? Uh, let's see. I, Meg Rally, I think was there yeah, I, right? did. I did, yeah. I had dinner with
1: Meg and Jeff uh, and Matthew Caruso beforehand and then I oh, uh, got to hang out with uh, Meg at the show as well
0: Yeah right, okay uh, uh, Patrick Dubuque Patrick Dubuque, I saw, him, and I saw him Was he on stage with you? or he? he so
1: Jeff and Patrick and Meg and Kate Cruiser were the first panel uh, okay. and I was not part of that panel because I have never written for Lookout Landing so that was like a Lookout Landing reunion panel uh, and well, then, yeah, I uh, guess it would be, yeah. yeah. And then I was uh, hanging out with the Shannon Dreher and Ryan Devish on the last panel.
0: What was your panel called? Uh,
1: Insider Baseball and also Dave.
0: Yeah, that yeah. seems appropriate. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, well um, oh, satisfied here. I wanted to bring to your attention um, an utterance uh, by a pre-Socratic philosopher, Heraclitus. I'm not sure if you're that familiar with Heraclitus. We're talking about fifth or... Yeah, fifth century BC roughly. Heraclitus says something to this effect: says uh, you can never step, you cannot step, you cannot step into the same river twice, is what Heraclitus says. Dave Cameron, mm. and uh, which I I suppose is um, well, it's 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 a bit uh, uh, it's a bit hard to parse, I think, on purpose. But uh, what the idea is, right, there's a thing. Oh, there's a thing you call a river, Dave, but the water is flowing through okay. Okay, I
1: think we're taking a pause for me to get rid of the dog.
0: Yeah, we will play uh, the fanographs hold music then. I suppose. Okay, very good. You're, you've returned. I, I'm back and without a dock. All right. Do you feel as though Do you feel as you, you fully digested my my comment about Heraclitus? I mean,
1: something about you can't step in the same river twice for for some reason.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, the the idea is, right? Uh, you, you you could call it a river. Like, what's a river near you, Dave? The Deschutes. Okay, the Deschutes River, yeah? yeah. So the Deschutes River is there. Everyone refers to it the Deschutes River. Everyone knows what they mean by the Deschutes River. But the water is always different. The water, the actual, the the particular atoms that form water are always different, right? Sure. So it's always a different river. Is the water is changing? So, um, but it, yet you you have sort of this uh, static name for the for the physical feature, um, and why I was. Uh, why I was that I was uh, reminded of that particular utterance by Heraclitus is because of some of the posts that have occurred at FanGraphs. dot com recently um, led me to them. Uh, you wrote, no, no, Jeff Sullivan wrote about Clayton Kershaw very recently. Uh, always a good, always a good uh, reason to write about Clayton Kershaw. But in particular, Sullivan revisited Clayton Kershaw's um, tendency to drop down and throw from from nearly a sidearm. Uh, posture, right? Yeah. Um, and what else happened? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, another great pitcher, Max Scherzer. You know, Sarah spoke with Max Scherzer, who I don't know if he let slip uh, or he was fine with saying it out loud, but he said that he's working on a on a on what he calls a power slider. Yeah. Which is a third breaking ball. He already throws a curveball and a slider. This is somehow a different slider that he's throwing. Uh, you also, you yourself wrote about Giancarlo Stanton, who... Um, as as uh, mentioned earlier in this conversation uh, might be experimenting a bit with the essentially the exit velocity contact con- you know continuum the relationship between those two trying to find the optimal space what, it, what I'm trying to get to is these are all three great players right um, and in particular the two pitchers have been dominant in recent years when they've been healthy um, <clears throat> and what I want to ask you is while, while we regard them as static in some way, we always call Max Scherzer, Max Scherzer, and Clayton Kershaw, Clayton Kershaw. And their numbers have been pretty similar year to year. Is it because – is their success only a result of the fact that they are constantly changing, essentially, in order to stay ahead of their opponents? Uh,
1: this is quite a philosophical question.
0: Um, well, I, it's just so, so shocking that, like, Clayton Kershaw, the best pitcher in the world, right, um, over the last half decade at least – He, what's his incentive to change? Because it's just as possible that he would F everything up, right? As opposed to improve. And yet, I'm thinking maybe the reason he does change is because that's what keeps him, that's what keeps him so good is because he's constantly, he's constantly evolving, constantly adjusting.
1: I mean, I would think it would actually be even more like, it's not a 50 50, like, oh, maybe I'll improve, maybe I'll get worse. It is way more likely to get worse, right? When you were at Clayton Kershaw's level, the odds of you getting better (laughs) are. Are I don't know, ten percent or something like whatever you whatever tweak you make is significantly more likely to make you inferior to what you've been before because there's just so little room to go up, right? Well, like,
0: that's like the what, what Bill James would refer to right as like kind of the plexiglass principle or just regression in general. Yeah. the chances that that you that if you make an adjustment you'll get better seem like they would be low because you're better than everybody else. Yeah, you're already basically close to your ceiling, right? So the incentive, to, the incentive to adjust, as you note, know, is very low. Um, but maybe, again, as I say, maybe these pitchers are essentially just a product of constant adjustments.
1: Yeah, I and mean, I think that's one of the interesting things about, like, uh, is sustained success uh, sustainable if you're not changing, right? And that's uh, maybe a question we haven't talked about, really, in the saber community. And, you know, like you said, we just kind of refer to yeah, Clayton Kershaw is good because he has these good pitches. But, like... Perhaps the only way to stay good and to remain at that level is to constantly be a step ahead of the opponents, right? Like we see so many players who uh, arrive, Kyle Schwarber maybe is a very good example. Not that we're saying Kyle Schwarber hasn't worked hard or made adjustments or whatever, but he got to the big leagues, hit really well, took over kind of the narrative of of the Cubs' future, and now, uh, you know, with more exposure, Kyle Schwarber probably doing similar things to what he did a couple years ago is not finding success. And and perhaps this is an an example of a guy who needed to adjust even though he was already good. And and if you don't make that adjustment, then you get worse in a hurry.
0: Here's a a question that maybe has no answer. Who needs to adjust more by volume or maybe more by frequency? Either one, pitchers or hitters?
1: I would bet pitchers. I mean, it's just easier to... um, kind of develop a book on what pitchers are going to do in terms of what pitches they throw in and what counts and, you know, certain locations. And, you know, I think it's probably easier to become predictable as a pitcher. pitcher's Mm -hmm. also the one making the first action, right? The hitter's mostly reacting to what the pitcher does. Um, So as the person who has to kind of initiate the action in baseball, it's probably easier to develop a a predictable pattern um, in which hitters could then adjust to. Um, So I would imagine pitchers probably need to be more ahead of the game to make sure that they're not, you know, signaling that they're just going to throw fastballs in the first inning, or they're not going to just only throw the certain pitch in a two zero count or whatever.
0: Yeah, I've what, yeah, it, it seems to be a very r- sort of rich vein to for exploration, um, and but maybe it's also one that's difficult. I suppose it's one that's become somewhat easier because we have better means now of measuring objectively the changes that pitchers make. It may not have been, for example. Uh, Uh, Jeff Sullivan's post about Clayton Kershaw dropping down occasionally. That maybe is something that, uh, you know, before the advent of PitchFX, you would have recognized as a spectator. You say, oh, I like watching Clayton Kershaw. And you say, yeah, I think he's been dropping down a couple times per game. But to be able to identify, you know, specifically how often he's uh, going towards this lower arm slot would have been quite difficult. But with the the, uh, introduction of PitchFX, now StatCast, that sort of thing becomes easier. So what we're reading are not necessarily results-based stats or even process-based stats, really. It's actually measuring this sort of, uh, the actual physical movements of the players. Right. <laughs> yes. Concur. You concur, yeah. yeah. All right, well, I guess... Waiting I just, for a
1: question that never came because you adjusted to my uh, expectation.
0: Yeah, I'm... T- I, it's more. This is more of one of those things. now I'm not a great interviewer. I think that's pretty clear. But sometimes I can make a statement, and then yeah. you will, you will uh, amend and augment that statement. And I was wondering if that was going to be one of those situations. No, I mean I think but, what
1: you said was basically right. So I could then attempt to just restate what you said, but uh, you know, correct seems like a shorter version of that.
0: Yeah. All right. I, yeah. I don't. I just don't know. I guess it's. I guess again, the fact that players who are so good. I guess I'm I'm curious. Is it a product of constant adjustment, or can they just be static and succeed? And I mean, you mean rather Schwarber point? You know, maybe it is difficult, but he's also quite young. Yeah. I don't know. Has, has Max Scherzer made these changes before, or is it just a period of refinement before this?
1: I think players are adjusting more than we know, and I think yeah. the best ones are probably constantly tinkering.
0: What does Trout do? To, what is like a, if you were to make like a, like a short catalog of his adjustments, what would they include?
1: Well, well a couple of years ago, Jeff was writing about how like Mike Trout couldn't hit high fastballs, and then Mike Trout figured out how to hit high fastballs, and yeah. then last year like, uh, Mike Trout couldn't throw, or he didn't have a good throwing arm, and then Mike, Mike Trout figured out how to like throw better. So, uh, what is it, like? Early in his career, Trout struck out too much, now he doesn't strike out anymore. Uh, these are like basically any flaw we found in Mike Trout, he's been
0: fixed. Do you think that he was like, oh, that is a flaw now, and now I will address it? Or is it yeah. somehow, oh, you do think that? Yeah, I
1: think that, like, if we can find out, if, you know, basically anything <laughs> that we know on fangraphs, pretty likely the teams also know it. If they didn't know it first, the teams read fangraphs, right? So, like, they're, they're gonna know it after we publish it, but they probably know it before then. Uh, and I would imagine that the, you know, kind of director of baseball operations or whoever it is that kind of is communicating with, um, in an department, uh, the, the coaching staff and saying, hey, you know, here's some things that potentially we're going to work on, uh, had filtered down like, hey, Mike Trout, just so you know, you're awesome, but there's one way pitchers are pitching you, uh, if you want to make this adjustment. And I would imagine Trout was like, okay, I will stop, stop missing there.
0: So do you think that, that, uh, these adjustments, if they're occurring among the top players, that obviously it seems like a disadvantage for the, for the players there has to be players who are sort of uh you know in the majors simply because they have a sense like a, a sense of game awareness right as opposed to physical talent right so if you get the best pitchers this is like when when the the richest teams started investing or started hiring the best GMs you know like the Dodgers hiring Andrew Friedman so not only do they have the most money with which to work they also have an owner who's or not an owner, a GM who's proven that he can extract as much value out of a dollar as any other GM. Right. That doesn't seem fair.
1: Yeah. That's why you to a a, si- keep winning.
0: Yeah, if you get to a situation where where the most talented players are also making like perfect adjustments yeah. to their scouting reports, then that doesn't seem like it's very good for the marginal players.
1: No. No. I would think that this was well, I I guess the home run surge is made actually Help the marginal player more, right? Like, Marwin Gonzalez has added power, and there's so many of these guys who seem to have taken advantage of whatever change in the game has allowed them to hit for power that has not uh, proportionally gone to the top players. Like, Mike Trout's not hitting 55 anymore, or 55 home runs in a season. Like, we haven't gone from 40 to 60 at the top end, but we've gone from 10 to 30 at the bottom end. Uh, and I think you could say that's maybe a good time to be a marginal player because whatever structural change the game has made seems to have disproportionately gone towards guys who didn't hit for power before.
0: Let me ask you about a player about whom I was going to ask you one second. Do I have to guess who it is? (laughs) No, it was was Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge, yeah. Travis Sochick wrote um, a good piece about Aaron Judge just today, uh, which he addressed the fact that Aaron Judge might be getting um, as one reader put it, hosed on the strikes, the low strike. Uh, he poses an interesting challenge, right? I mean, Aaron Judge is relevant to this conversation because he um, because he made some adjustments, right, to make himself a viable major league hitter, and much more than that, it turns out. Uh, and, I, and the point that, that Sachik brought up, and which is quite relevant, is um, in light of Judge's youth, will it be possible for opposing pitchers to begin adapting to you know the scouting reports about him Um, but another thing that's happening along with that and perhaps this is a reaction to that Mm -hmm. is that he's getting um, he's having real difficulty with the umpires calling the low strike the low strike on him
1: yeah when you're that tall the low strike is probably not a pitch you can reach with ease
0: yeah like literally reach it yeah it's a
1: a long way from your arms to your knees
0: we could is there a sort of uh, is there a compendium of, of like a physical oddities, like players who've possessed peculiar physiques that have somehow made it difficult for for the umpires or just the game itself to, like, accommodate for them?
1: Um, I mean, maybe maybe not so much in... No, not that I... I mean, like, I think, like, the tall baseball players that you generally think of, like, they've just had the issues that you would expect tall... Like, they strike out a lot, right? Like, Frischie Sexton was 6'6", six, six, and, like, kind of Aaron Judge-sized... And, mm-hmm. you know, just struck out all the time. And, like, Giancarlo Stanton is a giant human being who strikes out all the time. Like, I don't know that there's, like, how do we fit this guy into the game? It's just like, okay, you have a huge advantage in terms of ball striking, but your height makes it harder to strike the ball.
0: Right. And then I guess on the other side of the uh, spectrum is Eddie Goodell.
1: Right, yeah. I guess, right, mm-hmm. the, the the guy who was, he he was the, the short person who drew four pitches and they got, like, the right. or something.
0: right. Although, you know, so the shortest players in the league right now actually don't walk that much. And that's more of a probably a product of approach than anything else. But like right. Jose Altuve doesn't really walk that much. Right. Dustin Bejoray doesn't really rock, walk that much. Right. So, it does not appear as though they're benefiting from the strike zone, but um perhaps it's uh, I don't know, what do you do you know what their zone rates are typically those two players? I, not
1: off the top of my head, I can look yeah. it up. i would make a yeah, Good I I podcasting.
0: Care. I don't care. Okay. I don't you've already been speaking for thirty-five minutes. So a long time. We, yeah. Um, I, this is not a. Uh, this is not. We're not wrapping it up. Oh. um Oh. Prettily, but I think it's over. We really we survived it. I'm saying is you've been obligated. You've been freed of your obligation.
1: Oh, so we are wrapping up. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. You said we weren't.
0: No. I said well we're not. We're not wrapping it up beautifully. Oh. This is not a satisfying end.
1: Yeah, well, none of them are. Last week's especially.
0: No, that was great. I think a lot of people would agree that was great. All right, Dave and, Uh Dave Cameron, well, we have to move on to our uh, our Pitch Talks Blue Jays podcast. Anyway. Okay, let's go do that one. All right. Well, for the, for the present, however, let me say thank you, Dave Cameron. You're welcome. Yeah, that has been Managing Editor of Fangraphs Dave Cameron. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been um, an unsatisfying edition of Fangraphs Audio.